0: Sorry for the little delay hey, here, but we... Whoa whoa, 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 I gotta get rid of this. I gotta get rid of this. Sorry for the delay, but uh, here we are. Yeah, and we got a monster for you today. That's right. We got an absolute monster for you today, and you're gonna like it. That's right. You're gonna like it. We got the praying coach, Joe Kennedy, is gonna join us. Now, you know Joe Kennedy... Uh, won his case against the Supreme Court or in front of the Supreme Court, not certainly against the Supreme Court, but he won his case in front of the Supreme Court, which allows him to pray on the field. And it is amazing to me. I didn't know this. I didn't know that so many people... We're so prayed. against praying. I mean, so stunned stunned I mean, I'm stunned by that. I can't even, believe the, I can't even folks, believe the fact that these man, folks... Man, something's wrong with this man, here. Something's wrong with this here. <laughs> something's wrong with this here. Oh, <laughs> uh, hang on here. Uh, hang on. I have a hard time believing that people don't want you to pray by yourself. Like you're not, I was reading up, and Joe Kennedy didn't ask anybody to pray with him. People came to pray with him. Joe Kennedy didn't do it in front of... Anybody other than his God at midfield, and all of a sudden, it became a big deal. You have seen Joe Kennedy in front of uh, the Supreme Court kneeling and praying, and it amazed me how many people, um, well, frankly, they, they don't like it. Like, stop it. I mean, you don't like it. All right, you don't like it. But why not? I mean... If you're, I don't know, a human being, you what's can going see on what's going here. on around here, you can see what's, you can going what's, what's going country. on in you our country, you happening. can see what's happening, and, and frankly, what's happening isn't great. So try something else. I've said forever, well, not actually forever, once I really started paying attention, like, I don't understand why people get so worked up about prayer. Separation of church and state. Really? You think we still have that? Okay. Why is it one nation under God if we're not allowed to even say a prayer at ha- at midfield by ourselves after a football game? You know, when I worked for Calvin Sampson in 2008 at Indiana, we used to hold hands and pray. Now that was different. I always kept one eye open because I figured Sampson wanted all of us to close our eyes so he could steal our stuff. <laughs> I did. I would always keep one eye open like, yeah, all right, this dude that does all that cheating on two teams on probation is actually, oh, I don't know, having us pray. No, there's something here. I figure he had little managers come in and steal stuff from people. That's the way I looked at it. Teams have always prayed. Every game, every home game at Indiana, uh, Father Higgins would be in our locker room. He didn't pray, but he was in there. There was an element of religion. I get a kick out of people getting so worked up. Church and state, man. Shut up. We got a mess out there, and we got a guy that's praying, and y'all want to waste the Supreme Court's time? Salute, Joe Kennedy and your legal team, for getting the W. Salute to you. Hell yes. I'm all in on it. All right, we're going to get to that at 9.30. We're going to talk. To Joe Kennedy to coach Joe Kennedy. So here we go. Baker Mayfield traded yesterday. That's right. He was traded yesterday for a broken bat and a taped up ball. That's what we used to say. I wouldn't trade you for a broken bat and a taped up ball. Those of you that are too young to remember a taped up ball. Well, when your ball was no good, you taped it up and you played with it. Broken bat, you put a nail in it and it got right. And then you taped that up too. Baker Mayfield, let's make sure we get the trade right, fourth or fifth round pick. If he plays in 70% of the tra- of the snaps for the Carolina Panthers, and he gets the uh, Browns do a fourth round pick. If he doesn't, then it's a fifth round pick. You got to remember, Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold are now competing for the same job they once competed for the number one pick in the 2018 draft. How about that? How about that? Quarterbacks are not a lock, people. We all think this guy's a lock, that guy's a lock. I'm anxious to see what happens with Trevor Lawrence this year. Is he, in fact, the can't-miss prospect? All right. $4.85 million paid by the Panthers. $10.5 million paid by the Browns. $18.8 million. Baker Mayfield had to agree to put it in a deal for incentives. Look. This is the greatest thing ever happened to Baker Mayfield. He gets out of Cleveland, which I don't know about you, but once they signed Deshaun Watson, I'd want out of Cleveland too, not for the competition, but because if you're that stupid and signed Deshaun Watson, then I don't want no part of being on the organization. I don't. I'm sorry. I don't. You guys can. You guys can. Yay, Rob. Go fight, win. But I don't. So Mayfield gets a new... A new start. I would make him compete against Sam Darnold. I don't know why you wouldn't. How bad Sam Darnold? I mean, seriously, how bad Sam Darnold? Now, I understand people say, well, you know, there was nothing around him in New York. Really? I mean, they paid a lot of money. They had a team. Then he goes to Carolina. Well, you know, Christian McCaffrey got hurt. Well, okay, but how bad is Sam Darnold? That they're going to bring in Baker Mayfield. And guess what the opening game is next year? That's right. Week one, NFL, Carolina, and the Browns. Man, the world works in funny ways, does it not? I say yes, it does. And I like the way the world works. That's week one. There'll be a lot of hype on that because for some reason, despite all his mediocrity, Baker Mayfield apparently moves the needle. I don't know whether he's going to be a starter or not. I don't know. But now in Carolina, you got the number one and number two picks. Oh, by the way, same draft was Deshaun Watson. Same draft was Patrick Mahomes. But, hey, it's all right. No problem. You want to celebrate what's good in sport? I do. I like celebrating what's good in sports. Why not? You know what's good in sports? Rafa. That's right. Rafa Nadal. And right now, Ryan in the back is going, yeah, that's my man. I don't know if you watched yesterday, but let's be honest. There's no bigger badass in sport than Rafa Nadal. During the match yesterday, a five-setter that he eventually won in a tie break against an American named Fritz, who, by the way, uh, for you pervs out there, check out Fritz's girlfriend, Hamana, Hamina, Hamina. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, uh, so Fritzy and Rafa are going at it. And they're going at it, man. And they're banging, boom, boom, boom. And, I mean, they're going side to side. This isn't one of those matches where you just hit the ball to the other guy. These dudes are balling, as they say, in the business. Yeah, they are. They are balling. Well, they showed the stands. And Rafa's dad is like, Ixnay, Ixnay, stop it. You're hurt. You got an abdomen. You're going to tear something. It's going to be awful, Rafa. Rafa kept battling, thought about quitting, but in true Rafa Nadal style said, ah, no, not doing it, Mm -mm, not doing it. So the 22-time Grand Slam winner forges on, beats Fritz. Next thing you know, he is in the semifinals against this clown, Garagos, who I guess had (laughs) had to go to trial or at least had to show up in court on an assault charge. So Garagos and Rafa, I can't imagine Rafa can beat this guy, except this guy, if you put enough pressure on it, on him, will wilt. We talked about him yesterday, but the fact of the matter is uh, Rafa, yeah. Oh, yeah, we had Lamar and Josh Allen. Oh, yeah, you're right. Watson and Mahomes were in the 17 draft. I get them all mixed up. What are you going to do? Trubisky was the guy... In the uh, in the home uh, Mahomes draft. Thank you, Davey, for clearing that up. I'm an ish guy. I get it around it. You know what I mean? I float around the edges. Sometimes get it right. Sometimes I don't get it right. No, thanks, Davey, for that. Um, we've been talking about this, and we've been talking about this, and we've been talking about this. You know, and I want to make sure I get this right because I feel like people. Um, I don't know. I feel like all of a sudden the floodgates open on Brittany Griner, and now you're able to talk uh, about Brittany Griner. Now, Brittany Griner's wife apparently, apparently, um, is talking, maybe, maybe sort of is talking to Joe Biden. I'll tell you this. I don't care what anybody says. It went for a long time. All right. It went for a long time where nobody said anything. And Brittany Griner's wife uh, said, hey, look, we were told to be quiet beca- by the State Department because if we weren't quiet, then the price went up. Well, now everybody's done being quiet. Sherelle Griner, Brittany's wife, is saying, hey, wait a second. There's a rally. We've got the hype and working on the public with all the love for this genre among modern politician currently only disrupts. It does not just distract from the case, but it creates interference. Silence is needed here. That's Sergei Rabakov, the deputy foreign minister on the court process. See, here's the thing. We've been talking about this for weeks. Now, all of a sudden, there's rallies, and this is smart. All of a sudden, now, they're bringing up, hey, this is a black woman. Hey, this is a lesbian. Hey, that's why you're discriminating. That's why you are holding her. That's not why they're holding her. But the truth of the matter is, uh, timing, horrible. Popularity, sure. And there's not a lot of sympathy for Brittany Griner. I'm very sympathetic to this. 140 days, this Sherelle Griner, I'm frustrated 140 days have passed since my wife has been able to speak to me, to our family, our friends. I'm frustrated that my wife is not going to get justice. Let's make sure this administration knows they have our support to do whatever is necessary, and that we're not going to ever be quiet until she's home safely. Well, y'all were quiet. Now, Biden talked to Sherelle Griner and said that he is working to secure Griner's release. Fewer than 1%, I told you this. Fewer than 1% of trials in Russia and in convictions. Fewer than 1%. Now, think about that for a second. If you go to trial in Russia, you have a 99% chance of being convicted. On top of the 99% chance of being convicted, you also, ladies and gentlemen the government has the right to appeal that conviction. Now that's not normal here in the United States. That isn't. You can remand the case back to a local court, and we'll ask Joe Kennedy about that coming up here, the man who just uh, got a favorable ruling from the Supreme Court. But the truth of the matter is, when you're in Brittany Griner's shoes and you're facing 10 years in jail, you're 99% mm-hmm. What's the right word? You're 99% assured of being convicted. Now, what has to happen here? I've said this forever. Donald Trump would have had her out. Look, I'm not, this isn't a political campaign. This isn't anything that I say, hey, look, you got to vote for Donald Trump. I don't give a damn who you vote for, although voting does have consequences. But I'll tell you this, Donald Trump would have had her out. All you got to do is look at what happened in China with the UCLA basketball players. Donald Trump understood one thing, high profile. Donald Trump did. Now, the circumstances are way different. They're not even close. They're way different, right? You've got drug, according to the Russians, drug smuggling. All right, fine. You got drug smuggling. You got a little bit of vape in a freaking airport. Bad timing on Griner, right? $14 billion went from the United States to the Ukraine bad timing. You certainly, I get it. You got to be smart enough. I understand not to do anything in a foreign country. Guys, my age, I don't know about you, but I've said this and said this and said this. Everybody in my neighborhood, and I'll bet you Joe Kennedy's neighborhood, uh, everybody in my neighborhood, the parents made them watch Midnight Express because we were all clowns. We all knew it all, right? Well, Midnight Express scared our ass straight. Is like, wait a second here. I'm not doing this. Are you crazy? I'm not getting caught doing anything in a foreign country. Hell, I went and got married, uh, and hit, hit down in Saint Something, Saint John's, I wasn't doing nothing illegal. All I know is this. I've always said this. Once those front doors close, uh, I gotta wonder, am I ever getting out of here? That's what I gotta wonder. I had a very good friend who was in a German jail for selling illegal jeans. He was in there with a skinhead. I guess a skinhead is some Aryan nation dude in Germany. He was in a cell for about a month. All right? Well, guess what? Every night he's like, hey, man, I slept with one eye open hoping not to get shipped. And he was only in there for four or five days. 140 days in a Russian jail can't be good. I get it. A lot of you are mad at Brittany Griner because she said we don't need to play the anthem before games. I get it. You want to bring that back, but she's still one of ours, ladies and gentlemen. It's time to bring her home. It just is. I got nothing to do with it, but I am talking about it, so maybe that is helping. I don't know. Here's a very weird story from uh, Major League Baseball. There's a pitcher. His name is Eduardo Rodriguez. Eduardo Rodriguez is a pitcher for the Detroit Lions. If he pitched for the Detroit Lions, that would mean he's in the NFL. The NFL doesn't have baseball, so let me correct myself. He's a pitcher for the Detroit Tigers, and by all accounts, a pretty damn good pitcher, right? Well, guess what? Eduardo's been missing. Eduardo's been missing for three weeks. They put him on the restricted list. And what happens when you're on the restricted list, at least in Eduardo's case, well, you know what? Uh... You don't get paid. This man hasn't been paid in three weeks. Avia, the general manager of the Tigers, has been trying to get a hold of him down in his hometown, no avail, no calls back. They know he's alive, apparently. At least they say they know he's alive. But this guy hasn't posted. He hasn't showed. Three weeks. Think about this for just a second. You know, when you're with your family or you're with your friends, three weeks goes fast, right? Right? But when you're trying to find someone and you're trying to locate one, three weeks doesn't go so fast, not even a little bit. Three weeks move slow, really slow. They've been trying to find this guy. They're in the middle of the baseball season. There's no real word on why he went on the restricted list. But this dude's making about, oh, I don't know, $80 million a year. Now, he's not making $80 million a year right now because they're not paying him. However, however, They'd like to see that he's okay, and they haven't been able to do that. It's a very weird story. It is a very, very, very odd story. Very odd. Keep an eye on it. Three weeks, middle of the season, you haven't found a pitcher? Don't know about that one. All right, I grew up a Chicago Bears fan. I grew up in Gary, Indiana, outside Chicago, Maryville, Indiana. We're all Chicago Bears fans. It was hard being a Chicago Bears fan. It was hard being a Chicago Bears fan because when you're as old as I am, they stunk for a long time. Awful. People don't remember. The only team they used to beat was in their division, and that was the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Pittsburgh Steelers were horrendous. And you'd go, all right, maybe the Bears can beat the Pittsburgh Steelers. The line of coaches, Abe Gibron being one of them, Neil Armstrong, no, not the astronaut dummy. Neil Armstrong was one. Uh, Abe Gibran was another, and a host of other dudes. Well, next thing you know, what? My Ditka comes in. What? 1985 happens, and we had ourselves a winner. We had ourselves a great time. I was just out of college my first year, 85, 86, just out of college. Every stinking Sunday. I hated Sundays because I'd be with my buddy Dave Brizik and all of our boys watching the Bears, and then I used to have to go to practice as a graduate assistant. I'm like, man, I just want to watch the Bears. When the Bears were on Monday night, it was a celebration. We all remember the disappointment when the Chicago Bears lost to the Dolphins. The Monsters of the Midway, though, were back, baby, and it was the best defense I've ever seen in football, ever. Don't at me about it either. There's never been a better defense than the 85 Bears. I don't give a damn what you try trying to tell me. All right. Monsters of the Midway. The other thing that made it hard being a Bears fan is Soldier Field sucked. Look, the seats were literally like Notre Dame Stadium. I was skinny back then, and I couldn't sit next to my brother without putting an arm around him or him having to put an arm around me. Parking, awful. The location was great at Soldier Field. Right on the water, historic venue, fantastic. But the truth of the matter is, um, I ain't like it. I didn't like it. I don't like it even worse that the Bears are talking about putting a dome on their stadium. But I would like it even worse if they moved out to Arlington Park. See, when I was a kid, we were uh, not bad kids, but we liked to do stuff. So when my brother turned 16 a month and a day, we loaded up the car. We went to Comiskey, Southside, Chicago. Then we went up to the racetrack, Arlington Park. We literally lost every dime we had. In fact, on the way back from Arlington Park Racetrack, we were searching for coins, true story, in the car seats of the big old Esquire station wagon that we had. We couldn't pay the toll. Didn't have any money. Lost it all at Arlington Park. Why am I bringing up Arlington Park? Because that's where the Bears want to move. Arlington Park Racetrack, which is north side of Chicago, way north, is being shut down. Great piece of land. A beautiful racetrack, no more. Bears want to move there. City of Chicago doesn't want to move. Bears are saying, build us a dome. Can't be mad at the Bears for saying, build us a dome. They're looking into the future. Soldier Field on the lake, cold as hell. No parking. A lot of people have to walk a mile or more uh, to get to the stadium after parking. Bears are like, hey, let's modernize this. I've seen what's happening in Las Vegas. I've seen what's happening in LA. Let's go. Chicago's fighting it. If I were the Bears, I'd move out of Chicago out of spite. You got the worst mayor in the history of people. Now, that's harsh to say, but look it up and tell me I'm wrong. The Bears' soldier field is basically on the south side of, the, of Lakeshore Drive. Not the real south side. It's on Lakeshore Drive, south side Chicago. Uh, ton of stuff going on, including shooting each other almost every night. So if I'm the Bears, of course I'm looking at Arlington Park. If I'm Chicago, of course I want them to come in. But let me give you the sentimental factor, the monsters of the midway. Hey, look, I grew up and everybody said you can't run around the edges. you got to run up the middle when we're playing tackle football. Don't be a pansy and run around the edges. you got to run straight. What? Then Walter Payton came along, and we all learned how to stiff arm, take the extra yard. Monsters of the midway, in theory, shouldn't have a dome. You can't dome the uh, uh, Soldier Field. You can't dome the Monsters of the Midway. Are you crazy? That's for sentimentality. It's going to happen. It should happen. And if it doesn't, it's going to end up happening out in Arlington Park, which maybe it should be. If nothing else, out of spite for a mayor that's awful, Joe Kennedy's my hero. I'm going to tell you why Joe Kennedy's my hero. I coached for a long time. Coached college basketball for 20-some years. I always thought, and I caught hell about this. I left West Virginia, I was a head coach of West Virginia for a week. They were cheating, no good, dirty, rotten, you know what. So I told the president, my wife and I told the president, hey, look, here's what you got. You're paying a kid $60,000, you're throwing games, uh, you got pl- students uh, getting grades, here's what you got. The president smacked the table, told my wife and I, he would destroy us. We're like, great, destroy us. We're out of here. Goodbye. You got to stand on principles sometime. I respect those that do. Joe Kennedy's a high school coach. Joe Kennedy stood up because he wanted to pray. I went to Catholic school. We prayed. I don't get why people are so against prayer, given what's happened. I'm going to talk to Joe Kennedy. Go tell your friends. This is going to be fun. Joe Kennedy's an American hero. I don't know how he got there. I'm going to find out. I don't know how he got in front of the Supreme Court. I got a family full of lawyers And I asked him, hey, can you ask Joe Kennedy how the hell he got his case heard before the Supreme Court? Because it's like this. Everybody says we're going to the Supreme Court. I'll take you to the Supreme Court. Joe Kennedy got in front of the Supreme Court, and Joe Kennedy won. A lot of people aren't happy about it, but a lot of people are idiots. We'll talk to Joe Kennedy coming up here in a minute. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. You know, Joe Kennedy... Uh, just wanted to pray by himself at midfield after a football game. And Joe Kennedy ended up in front of the Supreme Court. Joe Kennedy joins us. Now, Joe, first thing I got to ask you, you, you did this for years. I, I know your story. You grew up in group homes, foster homes. You know, you you said yourself, I was the kid that well, no dads wanted their daughter to date and no moms wanted their <laughs> sons to hang out with all that stuff, right? But you go yeah. to the Marines and next thing you know, you know, you have this incredible passion for helping young people and it leads to coaching. You, you decide for whatever the reason, I'll ask you the reason, after games, I'm going to go have a moment by myself with my God at, at, half, or at midfield, all right? What made you first start doing this, and then what happened and what were your thoughts when all of a sudden a simple man praying at midfield after a football game became a huge issue?
1: Yeah, everything started after I watched uh, Facing the Giants. Uh, The coach was going through a whole bunch of stuff in his life, and I kind of was in that transition between the Marine Corps and becoming a civilian. And when they offered me the job to be a coach, I ended up watching that movie, and it was, you know, like a lightning bolt from God. And I said, hey, I'm in, just like in the movie. I'm going to give you, you know, thanks after every game, win or lose. And right there on the battlefield. So that's all I was doing. It was something that was so simple to me. And the whole idea of somebody, you know, getting in trouble, especially, you know, an American for exercising their their freedoms of the First First Amendment, it it just boggled my mind. I had no idea that the world was so crazy as it is right now.
0: All right. I'm guessing you weren't even thinking about First Amendment, church and state when you did. I'm guessing you just simply wanted to go pray. What was the moment like for you internally when you realized, uh, wait a second, this is a problem for people, and you might have to fight for your job. What was the moment like when you initially learned this was a problem for others?
1: Well, you know, I was sitting in the coach's office. We had all our coaches around, and everybody, you know, is you know ragging on each other. And then they said, you know, Kennedy, you got to stop doing this. You know, you're going to get us in trouble. And you know, everybody kind of looked at me, and I was like, what's a, what? What are they going to do? Fire me for this? You know, I'm just thanking God. It's not a big deal. And then um, they turned around and all looked at me in dead seriousness and they were like, yeah, they could fire you. And then I got that kind of smirk on my face and I'm like, I'm feeling a little defiant right now. Nobody's going to tell me, you know, what I can and cannot do on a football field, especially when it comes to my freedoms. I, I, I know, I, you know, I don't know the, all the amendments, but I know that you have the right to thank your God or, you know, to freedom of speech. So I'd be damned if anybody told me that I could not do what I was doing.
0: But you never, I mean, you never asked anybody to join you, right? This was just you doing it. And if somebody wanted to join, that was on them. Am I right about that?
1: Yeah, 100% correct. I never even, you know, for years I sat there and just, did, did I ever, ever once even talk to a kid about God or ask them to come out? They asked me and I said, you know, this is a free country. You can do whatever you want. And that's what led to them coming out
0: there. So, Coach, all of a sudden, when did the first, you know, I know the coaches are going back and forth in the coaches' locker room, but when did the first, quote, official, you know, whether, whoever it was, school official, uh, come to you and say they had a problem with this?
1: Well, it was first with the uh, um, athletic director. He came to the football game that he told me not to pray at, the very first one. And when uh, one of the other players from the other team came up there and took a knee and handed me his helmet, and said, "Coach, would you use my my helmet in prayer?" And I grabbed it and I said, "Absolutely." And then my team came around and I did the prayer. And then as soon as the prayer was over, I turn over and look at the uh, the um, athletic director, and he walks off and he's just shaking his head. I look over at the head coach, and he's just he, he mouths, "They're gonna fire you." And that Monday, everything just blew up and became just terrible. It, it was a mess.
0: So that Monday, walk me through what happened with you.
1: So on the Monday, well, we over the weekend we called the superintendent because I had a football game on Monday. I'm the head coach for the junior varsity, you know. So Friday night we play with the with the varsity, and um, I got all weekend to think about this, and it's driving me nuts. And I think. Am I fired? Am I in trouble? How big is this? You know, it's on the news right now. So we called the superintendent and he's, he assured me, hey, we'll be able to work everything out. And then him and I met on, it wasn't Monday because uh, I had my my football game, but it was Tuesday we met and we tried to work through it. We said, he said, you know, you could pray even while you're on duty as long as it doesn't interfere with the coaches, coaching duties. I thought I was good. I thought we were like, all right, this isn't a problem. But then they said, you know, um, oh, you can't do that. We got to, you got to just stop praying with the, with the players. And I was like, well, that's unfortunate, but your school, your rules, no problem there. And I stopped praying with my guys. I never prayed with my team again after that. It wasn't until they said, oh, but people could still see you out there. And when it came to that, that's where it drew the line where they said, I can no longer even pray by myself because somebody might see me.
0: Coach, were, were, were parents upset? Um, you
1: know, for the most part, no. I, I did have one one set of parents that were were anti-God, anti-church, anti-any kind of religion, and we talked that out years in advance. Um, but uh, the, their son, he was my team captain, so it it wasn't that big of a deal. The, the thing was is they just were adamant about their kid not joining. Not a problem there, so... They didn't have a problem with with me doing it by myself.
0: Coach, so when did it blow up to a full-blown lawsuit for you? Because you didn't win, win, right? I mean, you you lost uh, the initial lawsuit, correct?
1: Yeah, I, I lost five times, actually. It went from the district court to the appeals to the Supreme Court. Supreme Court said, hey, not this time. Go get some more information. They sent it back down. Then I went back to the district court, went back to the appeals court, and then back up to the Supreme Court. So I was 0 and 5 by the time I got to the Supreme Court.
0: <laughs> Coach, I, I got to ask you, and I know your lawyer's there. Um, my family is full of lawyers and prosecutors. And the one thing they wanted you know, people to know is you just don't say, hey, look, I'm taking you to the Supreme Court, right? Like everybody <laughs> says that. I'm taking you to the Supreme Court. Your lawyers there, how did you get this in front of the Supreme Court? Well, I
2: I think if you ask Coach, he'd say that we lost five times and then we got to the Supreme Court. No, it just takes a while for the system to walk all the way through up to the Supreme Court, and what matters is not the the, the record that you have but the fact that uh, you win the Super Bowl, and that's exactly what we did for Coach Kennedy here is to make sure we win the one that really counted here. Look, we would have rather – had won this uh, several years ago when we went to the Supreme Court the first time, but they needed more information, so we went back down to the courts and got that information for the court to make the decision. And at the end of the day, it's a resounding victory for Coach Kennedy.
0: When, when you – I don't know whether you have done this or not, Jeremy, but I'm guessing if you if you're in law long enough and you guys defend, you know, the First Amendment, all that kind of stuff, so I'm guessing you have both ways – How difficult is it to get the Supreme Court to listen to a case? Because they don't listen to everything.
2: No, that's a great point, Dan. Uh, Look, the Supreme Court takes about 60 or 70 cases every single year. And so you've got a really long shot, long odds to get to the Supreme Court of the United States and then to have them actually hear the case uh, and decide it. So uh, what it takes is, is a really compelling set of facts. And a really egregious application of the law. And Coach Kennedy had a really compelling set of facts, that all he did was try to take a knee in private prayer by himself at the 50-yard line and was fired for it all. And then the Ninth Circuit supplied the egregious interpretation of of the law, or the application of the law. Uh, And they said that any time that Coach Kennedy was doing that, he he was violating the Establishment Clause. Well, that just simply was not true. We know that to be the case, because the Supreme Court has said that that was not the case. In fact, Coach Kennedy did absolutely nothing wrong. He engaged his free exercise rights perfectly well. Uh, it was the school district who engaged in uh, unconstitutional and unlaw- unlawful behavior by, by uh, suppressing his religious uh, exercise, by suppressing his, re- his free speech, and then by firing him because of the religious activity he engaged in, they violated his free exercise rights, his free speech rights, and his civil rights. And so we had to sue to get them all back.
0: What changed the second time you went back to the Supreme Court? What did they hear that changed?
2: Uh, they, they had to figure out exactly whether or not he was fired and how that uh, how that whole thing had gone down. So we just needed a little bit more discovery, which we already had in the record to be able to put in there. And, and so we did. Uh, and, and the question mark was, look, he was suspended without pay. Was he fired? Uh, yeah, look, his, his uh, annual evaluation at the end of the 2015 season said, do not rehire. Now, I don't know about you, but... I would not view that as an invitation to reapply for the job the next year. That was, uh, you know, I've been canned. I'm not allowed to go back to coach anymore. And I think the Supreme Court viewed that in the very same way.
0: Well, so the Supreme Court comes with a decision in your all's favor. Now, can it be remanded back to another court or is this done for you all?
2: It is done. In fact, the Supreme Court went out of the way to say they reversed the opinions below there was no remand that was attached to that. In fact, the justices went even further. They said that Joe Kennedy is entitled to summary judgment. And if he's entitled to summary judgment, that means he's entitled to the relief that he was seeking in the complaint. What relief was he seeking? Well, he was just simply seeking the ability to go back to his job, reinstatement to his job at Bremerton High School, and then the ability to pray after the, after the uh, football games that he coaches. That was all that he saw from the very beginning of this case almost seven years ago now. And so all of it is over in terms of the legal action. The only thing that is left to be done legally is to decide, uh, you know, the attorney's fees that Coach Kennedy's attorneys are entitled to. And that's that's going to be a significant discussion that we're having right now with the school district. But also to wait beside the phone for the school to call to find out when he's got to show up for 2 days this summer.
0: <laughs> right, because, you know, The do not rehire is gone. Coach, I got to ask you, as you go through this process and, you know, uh, people, I always look at the personal way, okay? You're praying, you get fired. Next thing you know, you're going to fight this. And, you know, you're just, you're a guy trying to coach football. All of a sudden, you've got this case and now you've got to find lawyers. You've got to get it to court. You've got to get it from, as you said, 0 and 5. What kind of toll did this take on you personally?
1: Well, if you take a look at the pictures before and after, I mean, my hair is a little <laughs> bit grayer. And, uh, <laughs> it, you know, it, it was tough. It was so tough, especially at first. Um, when you lose your football team under circumstances that, that are not favorable, you know, they were ripped out from, you know, underneath me. That hurt, especially the first four years, because I had, you know, incoming freshmen coming in there, and you start building attachments and and, and bonding with these guys, and now all of a sudden, that's gone. So, you know, at first, it was a lot of hurt, and then, you know, the pain went with it, and then the anger and the whole nine yards, but uh, my wife, I don't know if you knew this, my wife was the HR director for the school district that we're suing. So you can imagine what my personal life is here—that I'm dropping a lawsuit to on Bremerton School District, which she's the human resource director for. Talked about a little awkward. It's been—it's been an interesting ride. We've had some intense fellowship over the years.
0: Was there a time when you thought this was done? Uh, we're done. Uh, you know, you're owing five. Maybe you're owing three. We're done here. Is there? Was there a point where you? We're ready to say, screw this. I'll go do something else. Oh, well,
1: you know, I won't lie to you that I thought that at the very beginning because the kids were like, hey, coach, can't you just go along with the school, you know, and and stay our coach? I, I actually thought about it back then. But I would have been setting the worst example in the world for my guys because all of a sudden it became uncomfortable for me. I tell these guys to, you know, kill themselves and try to kill the other team every single week. Now, all of a sudden, things are uncomfortable for me. I'm going to be like, oh, no, I'm not going to go through that. So I didn't want to be a hypocrite. I knew I had to fight for it. But I I tell you, throughout the years, every time you hear a no, especially from um, like that, what is it, the uh, appeals court, man, that guy, I, I don't know what his problem is with me, but one of the judges just took it personal. And matter of fact, he even told me that I was a bad Christian because I wasn't praying the right way. It's like... Yeah, Once you hear these things over and over again, you know, you're like, what? what's the point of this? But, hey, I was raised as a fighter, you know, out on the streets. I, I was a Marine. We we don't give up. So, man, I, just like my Knights, my Bremerton Knights, you don't ever stop fighting till there's nothing left on the clock. And I had to be that example to do the same.
0: Uh, when you when you and your lawyer heard the judge give you that, give you the business, right? Well, what was the reaction to that? Because that, I don't know. Hey, look, I'm not in courts every day. Is that an odd deal to get so personal with somebody?
1: Oh, it is so weird, especially when they start bringing your wife into it. I was sitting there and I about stood up, man. I was in my chair and I'm like, don't you ever talk about <laughs> my wife. And my lawyer, he holds onto my what, arm. What did he say about <laughs> your wife? Well, what, she
0: what did was, he say about your wife?
1: Yeah, she was since she was an HR director. You know, they started throwing it out. Well, well, he should have known better because you know Denise Kennedy this, and he didn't reapply for the job, which he knew, which was part of it. You know, and Denise this, and Denise that. I just any I I stopped listening and I, I my brain just shut off, and I was like, I'm gonna go choke that guy. I was so not happy when they brought my <laughs> wife into it.
0: It's almost like, correct me if I'm wrong, but it it's almost like because it is prayer, people that are against it have these out-of-body experiences. Like, I'm sure a judge, that's not the norm for a guy, but because, I don't know if it's jealousy, I don't know if it's envy, I don't know what it is. But wouldn't you agree, and haven't you seen, like, because this is such an issue with so many people that are against it, they just lose their mind? Well, this is precisely
2: what the Supreme Court was getting at and why this was so important to address this this this, this decision, because uh, not only have school districts, but also they've been backed up by some of these appellate courts. They, they've been uh, viewing religion on public school campuses as if it's some sort of allergen. Uh, you know, these the school districts have this allergy to religion whenever it pops up, and so they break out the Lysol, and they spray down every surface, and they get out the wipes, and and kind of drive religion off campus unless everybody for fear that everybody's going to start sneezing and coughing and now having all these fits well the justices reminded everybody and i think that it includes its lower court judges as well that uh, you know religion in the public square is part and parcel of being an american that, that's something that we welcome in this country we don't drive it off into the corners and the broom closets as one court has said to whispers in the hallway uh, we welcome religion in the public square. We welcome religion even on the public school campuses that neither students nor teachers have to shed their constitutional rights when they walk through the schoolhouse gates. That's a bedrock principle the Supreme Court has held for now 100 and some odd years. Uh, and so the court on uh, Coach Kennedy's case just reaffirmed that principle that you must show respect for religion. In fact, let's talk about teachers and coaches for a second or school districts. Uh, schools are meant to you know teach people and teach students in particular. And, and the justices said in their opinion, hey, you've got to instruct these kids about how to involve themselves in a pluralistic society, that you have to show what diversity and inclusivity actually means when it comes to religion. And if you can't teach that, that lesson, that's a pretty simple one. If you can't teach that lesson, then what can you teach in the schools these days? If we can't show respect for one another when it comes to our faith, well, then, uh, you know, you, you can't, special, you can't uh, set aside religion for some sort of special disfavor. Justice Gorsuch says. You have to show that religion is a good thing for our society, and we ought to respect those who have it.
0: You know, hey, Jeremy, one of the things, to your point, you know, people have said, well, you know, uh, did this matter legally? I'm going to, you know, uh, football and religion pretty much go together in a lot of ways, right? I mean, I watch after games in the NFL. Everybody's in a big old circle, and everybody's down there. Uh, praying, you see guys after game talk religion, you know, I want to thank my Lord and Savior, that kind of stuff. We see it all the time in sports. But in this particular case, you know, did any of that matter legally?
2: Well, those are usually – so let's talk about the NFL and those kinds of things. Those are private entities, and they can kind of set the rules for what they want right. to have happen. Obviously, that sets sort of an example, too. I mean, the students see that all the time, and they, they sort of imitate the, the players or perhaps they say, hey, that's a good idea. I'll do that myself. Uh, and so, yeah, that, that comes into play in that respect, sort of the atmospherics, I might call it. Uh, but it also, uh, it, it is has it is, it is, it is affected the game at the high school level and below because at the public schools things like that, students are doing that. And they've got every right to be able to go out to the 50-yard line and take a knee in, in private prayer as a team, as, as individual players. But this left the coaches in a really awkward spot because they've been told that the establishment clause will get them in trouble if they come anywhere close to religion. In the coaches' case... Uh, we've said oftentimes that you could be fired for, you know, wearing a crucifix around your neck or a hijab or, you know, saying God bless you to a kid who sneezes in the hallway. Uh, and, and if they're near this prayer circle of students, they're they're afraid that either they're going to show too much respect and violate the Establishment Clause or too little respect and, and violate the Free Exercise Clause. But the justice has just pushed all that aside today or with Coach Kennedy's decision and said, look, it's okay. Students can come out and pray by themselves. They've got every right to be able to do that. And so can the the teachers. They've got constitutional rights to do that as well. And we ought to respect those things rather than punish them.
0: Coach, I want to go back to the last time you prayed. I was doing a little digging, and it was like, okay, the game was there, but everybody was sitting there waiting for you to go pray, and it became a, a circus, did it not?
1: Oh, that was a couple uh, before. Yeah, there was a couple games after that, but it was a circus. It was crazy. We had about five thousand people that showed up uh, for and against. Um, we had Satanists out the gates. It was it was just chaos, and. I was like, man, you guys just need to shut the field and not let anybody, you know, participate in this. But nope, they had the gates wide open and as soon as it was over, we had thousands of people out on the on the field and it was chaotic. And it I was not in favor of that because it was just that's not what my thing was about. Mine was a private moment and now all of a sudden it's become this big blowed up uh thing. It's I thought it was just absolutely crazy and ridiculous.
0: When you mentioned a lot of people being out on the field, Coach, were they for you, against you? What what was, like, the percentage? Like, did you ever receive threats for doing this?
1: Oh, yeah. I got threats all the time. You know, I still get threats today. Um, It it was funny because our town's pretty small. I don't know if you're familiar with Bremerton, Washington. It's across the peninsula, uh, the water from um, Seattle. So it's not a big town. And everybody knows each other. So... Anytime somebody had a beef, you know, they were like, Kennedy, you know, they'd threaten this, they'd threaten that. And I was like, cool, let's meet for lunch, tough guy. And, you know, most people never took me up on it, but um, I actually had a couple I went out to lunch with and had wonderful conversations with. So it's amazing what happens, you know, the, when you get beyond the, the, the strength that they find behind a computer screen to real-life stuff.
0: Did you have to be escorted off the field?
1: Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah, I sure did. It was, it was so chaotic. Uh, one of the guys grabbed me, uh, AJ Ferrati used to play football for Bremerton high school and he was one of my lawyers and he, boy, he grabbed me and just, it, it was like a, you know, the the secret service detail did <laughs> grabbed me and got me out there.
2: You know, the crazy thing is that all would have died down within, uh, you know, another week or so the school district just kind of let things go. But by elevating this to such a, a, uh, you know, ultimate situation, it, it, it kind of prolonged the problem in, in many respects. Uh, but, you know, it, it just would have died. It, look, he did this for almost seven years or eight years by himself with no press coverage. It just, it was a non-event. And all of a sudden, when the school district begins to crack down on it, well, you know, people respond to that. People are upset when when civil rights are violated. They're, they're bothered when constitutional rights are are shut down. And so sure, they, they, they come out and they, they simply protest. We've seen that in other contexts more recently with uh, a variety of different decisions from the Supreme Court and, and our government as well. That's part of the about being an American. That's actually a good thing in our country.
0: Jeremy, I believe, and I'm guessing you do too, as a lawyer, that there's always a backstory. Like I, I see something like I coached basketball for a hundred years in college and all right, there's always a backstory. Why after Coach had been doing this for so long? What's the backstory on the administration all of a sudden deciding this is a bad thing? It's not like he did it once and everybody lost their mind. What's the backstory on this? Why did the administration now, after however many years, five years, decide to make this a deal?
2: Yeah it goes back to what I said earlier that the school districts around the country and I would include the lawyers for this uh, school district in Bremerton Washington have had this belief that they are required under the establishment clause to uh, to root out any religion that comes on their campus uh set it aside and drive it off campus and they they sort of set up a a detector at the schoolhouse gates. And if you have any religious activity that you're bringing with you, they, they view that as contraband and wanna bar it right there. They gotta say, go put that back on the car. Don't bring it on campus with us. Uh, and so uh, it, it, they, were, they were buttressed then by the Ninth Circuit and other decisions that said that the, the same thing, that the Establishment Clause requires people to to kind of uh, sanitize a religion when they come through the schoolhouse gates. But the Supreme Court put an end to that. And said, that's not the case anymore. Uh, instead, the Free Exercise Clause acts as a, a, a protective shield for people of faith when they walk on the schoolhouse campus, uh, when they walk on the public school campus and through the schoolhouse gates. You ought to respect their religious beliefs, not punish them.
0: Coach, uh, but, but uh, so in Coach's case in particular, was it just a matter of this group or these these groups they didn't know Coach was doing this for X number of years. And, and as they didn't know, and then they found out, and this became a bigger deal, uh, we got to go after this guy. Like, did they, are they working their way across the country to eventually get to Washington, you know? No, you it's, know what's interesting it's is that, like-
2: yeah, Coach's case actually started with a compliment of all things. The other team complimented Coach or the, the principal on what Coach was doing, and then they took it upon themselves to do an investigation I, you know, honestly, I, I think during discovery, during a deposition, we asked the principal or the superintendent, one of the two, to point out Coach Kennedy. There's a video we were playing of the, the post-game activities. He said, which one is Coach Kennedy? And he couldn't do it. Like, we had to circle the area where he was at because it was, it was so quick that Coach was down on a knee, prayed and back up before he could actually find him again. And so it was really just a non-issue for so long. Uh, and, and it only resulted, uh, it only became an issue when someone complimented the school district and the school district then said, oh, we've got the establishment clause to be worried about here. We better go get that religion stuff off campus here. And they they, they took their investigation in uh, and, and made coach stop. And then they kept on changing the goalposts on him. And even their own investigation report came out with the words that said that there was no evidence that any student had been coerced by coach Kennedy ever. So it, it was only their uh, fear of the potential of coercion occurring that caused them to fire coach Kennedy
0: when coach are, are you good now at the school? Like are the coaches cool? Is it, are are you good now?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I, I know so many of the people that, uh, I, you know, some of my fellow coaches are still there. Uh, the teachers are still there. Um, a whole lot of the administration that they're, they're my friends for, you know, almost a decade. So, Yeah, I I know I'm good with some of them, but the football program had a complete turnaround. We got a new head coach. um, He's got new offensive coordinators and a whole new set of kids. So I haven't touched base with them at all. I I go see a football game whenever I'm there. And um, yeah, I I don't know. I I'm waiting for the school district to invite me back so I could sit there in in the coach's office and have this discussion with them and see, you know, what's really going on with them and what are their thoughts.
0: Well, let me go to the teachers. How were the teachers as you went through the whole process when this blew up? How, how, how were the faculty?
1: I, I had one person that was against me and everybody else was for me. And, you know, I think those are pretty good
0: odds. Not bad. How about the players? How, how were the students? Not only the players, oh, they, but the student yeah. population as well.
1: Oh, yeah. So the, the players a 100 percent on my side, you know, that they respected me just as, as much as I respected them. And they wanted to fight. They were like, yeah, we're going to put our helmets down and protest and we're going to walk off the field after the game or before the game starts. I'm like, whoa, 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 guys, your your fight is out there on the field. So but they 100 percent support um, families, definitely, you know, because we're a small community. Yeah, overwhelmingly, it was just this huge amount of support for, you know, inside the school, outside the school, everywhere around was just so supportive of of keeping me there.
0: I'm guessing this is the first time, I could be wrong, but this is the first time you've been involved in like a national story from coast to coast, (laughs) right? Uh, How, uh, were you surprised at the depiction of you? Were you surprised at, I'll give you two ways to go. Were you surprised at how honestly it was reported, or were you surprised at how dishonestly it was reported, or were you ready for all of it?
1: Well, you know, I was completely just blown away that this was even an issue. Um, you know, the, after the, that, that final game or the, the first game when we, all this blew up, it became, you know, just from social media. I put one little post on there that said, I thought I, I might have just gotten fired for praying next day it's on the news on the east coast and i was not expecting that i had no idea the power of you know social media um but yeah i had no idea which way it was going to go i had no idea that it was going to be big um it was it was almost kind of embarrassing you know it's like leave me the heck alone i just want to go coach football i don't i don't want all this nonsense so you know, there was all that uh, other stuff going on. You know, you had Kaepernick taking a knee, which I think he stole from me, but he, he did it in a different venue. But um, yeah, it was it was bizarre. You know, here I am, this, this this schmuck of a coach up in Washington State, which nobody's even heard of us before. And now we're on the news everywhere. It The whole thing has just been way blown out of proportion. And the media, they never want to tell all the facts. They want to tell the stories where it's just, you know, oh, what you know, blow everything up. How can we inflate our ratings? They did a good job of that,
0: Coach. I I I read where you coerced kids to to pray with you, and then I started looking into it, and I'm like, no, he didn't. What what the hell are we talking about here? I mean, I read so much crap, uh, and then when you dig in just a little bit, you find out. Well, that ain't true. You know what I'm saying? It's amazing to me.
1: Oh, yeah, but you take a look at the uh, even the Supreme Court, uh, the people who dissented against it, I mean, they, they believe some of that stuff. There, there's no facts to any of it, but in their mind, that's what happened, and there was coercion, and there was this. The the famous lines of, pray to play, all, all this nonsense that was just made up by the media, and yeah, well, some things just stick, even though it's not true.
0: Uh last thing and I'll let you guys go. If you don't coach, let's say this doesn't what's next for you? Wow.
1: That's a you know I'm 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 going to punt and say, you know, wherever God tells me to go, I I I'm whatever's next, whatever the next season is, if it's if it's coaching, if it's uh um I don't know. Whatever it is, I'm ready for it, but uh, the only thing I'm asking for is just to be able to step that, at least that last time on the football field and then terms on the way that I want instead of somebody else dictating it.
0: Are you and your wife cool?
1: Oh yeah, oh, I thought we were gonna, (laughs) I thought we were gonna get divorced for a long time, and and you know, I don't know what your faith is, but man, I, I I had to put all my faith in God, and he showed up when I needed him to. Not when I wanted him to, but when I absolutely needed he stepped in and took care of me and my wife.
0: Hey, last, last, last thing, because I'm fascinated. This is a great deal. You said Kaepernick stole the kneel down from you. How so? What do you think?
1: Well, I mean, well, Tebow was actually the original guy, and maybe I stole that from him, but, he, you know, <laughs> um, he did it after I did. So if, he, if, he, you know, if he's allowed to do that in protest, then I should be allowed to do it, you know, in Thanksgiving. So I think he just coined that for me. So him and I should talk about that and see where he got that.
0: Last, last, last thing. You walk out. You and Jeremy and your team, you walk out. You've just gotten a ruling that's going to reverberate because you've got to know it by now. It's going to reverberate through the country. And you walk out; you're on those stairs at the Supreme Court. What? What for people that will never do that? And everybody says, "I'm going to the Supreme Court." I'm taking. What was that like for you? What was the feeling inside for you? You know,
1: I was actually kind of terrified because there's there's that split second, you know, when you. Your guy goes into the, to score the touchdown, you know, on the one yard line. And it's this big, massive muddled mess. And, you know, you're waiting for somebody to throw their arms up and give you the score. You know, man, I tell you, I I was actually nervous. I had no idea which way it was going to go. In my heart, I was like, this is too easy. Th- th- this is a no brainer. But you do have the doubts. Did I make it in? Did I not? But afterwards it was it was like one in the Super Bowl you know when when you know Brady says I'm going to Disneyland man I just put my hands up and I'm like you know thank God and thank everybody that has been with me there's no way I could have done this without the support of millions of Americans that have been standing beside me in this so thank God and thank everybody that's been part of this
0: well Joe I gotta tell you man I I congratulate you I congratulate Jeremy I congratulate all, everybody that That was involved for a number of things, obviously for winning, but for sticking with it. Because as we talked earlier, Joe, I mean, on a personal level, people just see the newspaper. They don't see what you go through every day. And you mentioned possibly getting divorced as a result of it. I mean, sticking with it takes a lot. Appreciate you coming on very much so. And I appreciate you standing by what uh, what you believe and taking it all the way to the Supreme Court, man. Congratulations and thank you for your time today. Hey, you bet. You're awesome, man. Take care. That was fun. Joe Kennedy, I'm so, you know, I'm glad there's people like Joe Kennedy in this world. You can agree, you can disagree, you can do whatever you want. But the way this world's going, and we're going to get mad about a humble man, a Marine, praying on a football field? By himself? And then, of course, I've told you this forever, all the, I was going to swear, all the BS that the media tries to throw at him. I looked into this. There was never a time when Coach Kennedy coerced anybody. There was never a time when Coach Kennedy said, if you don't pray, you're not going to play. What is wrong with people? Man, that was a great get. I appreciate that. That was fun with Coach Kennedy and his attorney, uh, Jeremy. We'll come back. I've got some things to get into uh, today, including some awards. But, hell, the Stick To It Award. Coach Kennedy, salute, man. Zivio, as we say in Serbian. Congrats. We'll be right back. That's it. i got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. Oh, that's good stuff. Our little morning show, I tell you what, Dylan and Ryan and Davey and the fellas, they get it done for you. That was really good with Coach Kennedy. Thank you for all of the uh, positive remarks on that. He was terrific. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is Thursday. And on Thursday, we give out the weekly Damn Awards. That's right. Don't at Me awards. Yeah. All right. Craziest football player alive. Leighton Vander Esch. You got to see this video courtesy of TMZ. My man decides that it's a good idea to feed a bear. A bear. There's a bear on a fishing trip. There's a fish. He decides I'm going to give this bear a fish. The bear likes the fish and the bear walks away. I gotta tell, see, I've always said this about football players football players are legitimately insane. Football players are legitimately tough guys. Football players, for whatever is inside their brains, just don't care. They don't. It's unbelievable. They, Leighton Vanderbush is, I don't know, insane. Look, I have this thing, and where I live, we get a bunch of deer, we get some fox, we get some raccoons, we get a bunch, we have coyotes or two. And I'm not gonna lie to you. I'm scared of every one of them. Everyone. When I see something in the wild, my thought is always, what if this thing decided to attack me? Um, I asked a couple people about that video and everyone that I asked, that's a hunter that has come in contact with bears, said that that is incredibly stupid. (laughs) So don't do that. Don't put yourself in the position of feeding a wild animal by extending your arm with a fish because that wild animal might mistake your arm for the fish. And next thing you know, number 55, Vander Esch of the freaking Dallas Cowboys might be the one-armed man in the damn movies. That's right. The fugitive, a one-armed man. Don't do that. Don't. But I give him an award. Craziest NFL player alive right now. That's crazy. No, that's crazy. All right. Who we blaming award? Hey, this is like an everyday. Do we have video here of uh, Jolt and Joe Biden? Man. We got a long way to go because of inflation, because of
1: the, I call it the Putin tax increase. Putin
0: because of gasoline and all that grain he's keeping from being able to get to the market. You can see in Biden's eyes that just for a second, he's not dead. You always look in Biden's eyes and you see a dead man, right? But you can actually see in Biden's eyes there that he thinks he's being clever. He does. He thinks he's being clever. Now, you got to remember, this is our president. This is our president, the United States, the greatest country in the world. And we're being taken down by mother Russia. And our president is believing it. He's using it as an excuse. And you all voted for that. Think about that for just a second. The president of the greatest country ever, ever invented ever on the face of the earth, in the history of the world, gets taken down. This is the first time I have ever in my life heard this. Now, I've been paying attention. I've been paying attention. I have. For a long time, never heard a president make these kind of excuses. But somehow, some way, people will defend this. By the way, I got breaking news for you. This just happened two minutes ago. Brittany Griner, in a court of law in Russia, said, hey, uh, I'm guilty. She pled guilty and asked the court for mercy. Now, I got to believe, a couple witnesses didn't show up. This is kind of breaking news right now. But I got to believe that she has some type of deal in place. This just happened, at least it's just been reported, two minutes ago that she pled guilty to drug charges in Russia. So the idea, apparently, I'd like to plead guilty, Your Honor, but there was no intent. I didn't want to break the law. Guilty plea was a strategy to help facilitate a prison swap that could bring Griner home. It was also a recognition that there was no way she was going to be acquitted. US officials and Russia experts, have described the trial on drug smuggling charges as theater, and a guilty verdict was a foregone conclusion. It was the second day of her trial on charges as she tried to bring vape cartridges containing hashish oil into Russia on February 19th, where she was detained. No timetable. But the the real resolution of Griner's case is expected to be a deal that brings one or more Russians currently in U.S. custody back to Russia in exchange for the release of Greiner and possibly another American, Paul Whelan, who has been detained in Russia since December of 2018. It goes farther. Russia has sought the release of an arms dealer named Victor Bout, who is serving a 25-year sentence in the United States for supporting terrorists. There are voices in the Biden administration that have argued against Bout, who is known by the nickname, the Merchant of Death. Experts have said any deal to release Griner would almost certainly require an admission of guilt by Griner, regardless of the facts. By pleading guilty, a source familiar with the strategy said Griner gets that way out. And while it could complicate public reaction to her case, uh, one source said she thought it was to get her home however possible and deal with the fallout when she returns. Absolutely. She'll be a hero. In our country, are you crazy? You're crazy. She'll say she didn't do it. She'll say she was being held. And Hey, look, you got to do it. That's breaking news right here. So you know what? We'll see what happens. You know, if, if President Biden were smart, and I don't think that he is, but he was smart enough to get elected, he'll use this. He'll show his strength when he gets her out. He'll show how strong he is. He'll make something up. Look, a lot of public opinion, at least in the world of Twitter, certainly is against Britney Griner, but that doesn't really matter. Twitter isn't real life. Britney Griner just needs to get home, and hopefully this is the first step towards getting her home. Hopefully. We shall see what we shall see. All right, let's continue with the awards. Uh, No regrets. No, no, no regrets. I refuse to allow Joey Chestnut to have regrets on choking out this guy. Now, Joey Chestnut said, Hey, I realized he was a kid. All right. I realized he was just a kid. Well, you know what? A kid on stage, you know what happens with kids? We've seen it. Kids have guns. How great is my wife? She just brought me a cup of coffee. My God, the lovely Lee Ross loves me. And I in turn love her a fresh cup. People wonder why I go pee so much. Four fresh cups of coffee every morning. One brought my incredibly beautiful wife. And oh, by the way, uh, tomorrow is our anniversary. 7, 8, 15, ladies and gentlemen. Still good? Yeah. You all right? Still good. <laughs> Still good. Uh, look, don't feel bad, Joey Chestnut. The guy needed to be choked out. You don't know if he has a gun. You protected others. See, sometimes we think we live in a vacuum. Joey Chestnut said, look, I didn't necessarily like the fact. I wish it didn't happen. Well, I think everybody wishes that it, in fact, didn't happen. But Joey Chestnut has absolutely nothing to feel bad about. That guy could have harmed a lot of people. And frankly, you don't know. You don't know what he is up to. You don't know what he has in his uh, helmet or bag or leg or arm or shirt. You had no idea. And those things happen fast, man. Those things happen really, really, really fast. Good for Joy Chestnut, but don't regret it. No, don't regret it. In fact, do yourself a favor. Encourage others. Encourage others to go Mike Curtis. If you don't know who Mike Curtis is, linebacker for the Baltimore Colts, look up Mike Curtis. Mike Curtis blacktopped the first dude I ever saw get on the field. He ran around, tried to get in a huddle, and Curtis came from nowhere, and I mean absolutely Blacktop, some punk. I mean to tell you, he crushed his soul, Mike Curtis. That's what needs to happen. You get on a field, hey, look, you get crushed. I'm sorry. No, I'm not. Joy Chestnut, no regrets. Just keep eating, brother. Just keep eating. And if you keep eating, we'll keep paying attention. The minute you stop eating is the minute we stop paying attention. Anybody seen Kobayashi lately? Oh, hell no. Hell no. (laughs) Hey, why not just do it? Aaron Rodgers wins the why not just do it award. Look, you get to middle age. You know what I did? when I got to middle age, I got divorced and I bought a sports car. Yeah, I did. A red one. Yeah, I did. A convertible. Yeah, I did. I'm cool in it. I'm going to drive it today downtown. I'm going to wear my shades. I'm going to wear my hat and I'm going to go do my radio show downtown with my shades, my hat, my cool red sports car. Other guys get tattoos. Now I got to tell you, tat guy, tat guy's an interesting guy. See, I wouldn't be that interesting. I don't know what all this means. I have no idea, but Aaron Rodgers got himself a tat. God bless Aaron Rodgers. So Aaron Rodgers goes out and gets himself a tat, and Aaron Rodgers doesn't only get him a tat, he gets one of these deep thinking tats. Yeah, he does. It's some deep thinking. I don't know what the hell it means. I don't think anybody knows what the hell it means. Why would anybody know what the hell it means? But the truth of the matter is, Aaron Rodgers got one of them cool guy tats. You know, I would get like Mother or Lee. (laughs) Something like that. I don't know. Looks like you got a lion there on the left or on the right, I guess. It'd be my right. Looks like you got a tiger, lions. You got all kind of stuff. You got an eyeball in there. I don't know. He got one of them smart, cool guy tats. What kind of tats would you get? If you could get a tat. What kind of tat would you get? I I would be stupid. Like my wife has a tat, two tats. She's got like a shooting star on her back and she's got a little rainbow thing on her ankle. Nowadays, that rainbow thing might, might, might lead people to uh, think that Lee is something maybe that she's not. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. But the truth of the matter is there are a difference in tats And, of course, because Aaron Rodgers is the smartest of us all, I don't know, he gets to get a smart guy tat. I love the dudes that put the Chinese numerals on there. Those are the really smart guys. I actually got called a racist because I asked a white guy named Derek Willis who played at Kentucky, like, if everyone's so broke in college basketball, Why do these guys have so many tats? Now, this is before the NIL. Like, I'm looking at dudes that are broke, and they all got sleeves. This guy, Derek Willis, had a big thing across. People got mad because Derek Willis is apparently a Native American descent, and he got an eagle on his chest, which is fine. But I asked the question, if everybody's so broke, how do we do that? Like, if everybody's so broke in college basketball and football back in the day, how do everybody get all these tats? And I got called a racist by the weakest among us, Dan Wolken of the USA Today. I was a racist for that. All right. Well, I, I don't know. I didn't know asking a white guy how he got tats. Uh, yeah, I, don't know. I don't know. You get called a lot of things, but hey, that's a cool guy tat. Again, I would just you know, I'd be bam bam Bigelow. I'd just tap my head. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, when you're hot, you're hot. When you're not, you're not. Look who's on fire, Schwarby. Every little sorority girl in Indiana calls him Schwarby. I was in college with Schwarby. Schwarby used to go to Kilroy's with me. Every frat guy, man, the Cubs are great, they got Schwarber. Well, the Cubs don't have Schwarber anymore. They let Schwarber go. Among the people they let go, Rizzo et al, Javi Baez, they let Schwarber go. Okay, fine. So all Schwarber's done right now. He homered twice on Thursday, or Tuesday, homered twice on Wednesday. Made him the first Philly to have consecutive multi-home run games since Chase Utley did it in 2006. Only three other players have done it. The great Scott Rowland from Jasper, Dolph Camilli, and Chuck Klein. Now you're going back with Rowland to 99. Camilli 36, 1936, uh, and Chuck Klein in 1930. Going back away, Schwarby's 27 home runs are the most by a Phillies player in his first 80 games in the organization's history. Now you got to remember they had Mike Schmidt. He trails Mike Schmidt's 31 before the All-Star break. Schwarby's on fire. Schwarbe's going deep. 17 home runs in 34 games. The last guy to do something like that, Ryze Hoskins, hit 18-34 and 34 games from August 14th to September 18th, 2017. Five multi-hit games, multi-home run games. Only Aaron Judge with six has more. Swarby's on fire. Red hot hitter. One of the best hitters in the game, really, on everything. There's not many ways you can get him out, really. He's a 2-10 hitter. But, hey, it is what it is. No player has had five multi-home run games in a season for the Phillies since 2019 when Ryan Howard had six about that. Howard and Utley hold the franchise record with seven multi-home run games in 06. Looks like the home run record could fall. Schwarby says, I just want to go up there, put a quality at bat. The results are the results. If it's a home run single, whatever, I just always go to the process. They just happen to go out of the park. It's not like I'm trying to hit a home run, a lot of baseball to be played. So there you go. Schwarby is on fire. Schwarby is making the Cubs fans sad, Indiana fans glad. Did you see when he was in left field talking to uh, Carl Kyle Ravitch, where he said, going to Indiana is the greatest thing that ever happened to him. Yeah, you're damn right. It is going to Indiana is the greatest. Don't at me people. Swarby's on fire, not with the Cubs. I don't like that, but I am happy for the kid because by all accounts, he's a great dude. Came on my radio show when he got drafted. I love the kid. He's just a guy. Played middle linebacker in Middletown, Ohio. Tracy Smith, the, foot, the, uh, the baseball coach at Indiana, you know, got it done. The kid became great. Even my dog likes Swarby. Either that or my dog sees something on TV. There's a lady crying. She's got an 11-game winning streak. She's crying, and my dog is barking. I don't know. (coughs) Shut up, dog. (laughs) But anyway, good for Schwarby. Man, what a day. If you missed our show with Joe Kennedy, uh, it is up, and it is available. Uh, It will be available, because I retweet my show all day, because I got to keep getting viewers. That's right. I retweet it all day. A lot of you say, why do you keep retweeting? Because I want viewers. I want you to see the magic of this show. I do. I want you to see the magic of it. You can go to YouTube and you can watch it as well. And as always, I respect, we got 77 likes on this. I love saying this. We got 77 likes and no dislikes. I think the dislike button is turned off, but I ain't mad about it. Anyway, next week, if you want to nominate somebody for a "Don't At Me" award, I'll get it to you. Andy Hughes, uh, yes, my wife is better than your wife. Would Coach Dockage go back to Indiana if they call? No, absolutely not. They can't afford me. No, 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 no. Why would I do that? If you, if. You, Michael Ryan Corbin the ninth. What are you talking about? Uh, no, if I go back to Indiana, I gotta lay around, take naps, and watch CNN and hear guys bitch at me. Come on, that's what Indiana does. That's what Indiana basketball does in the staff meetings. They bitch at you. They bitch at Dana. They bitch at you know. No, 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 no. I'm excited about our next guest. He is America's conscience, ladies and gentlemen. His name is Bobby Barak. You can read him. I think he's the best writer in the country. Got some hellacious articles going right now. Stay right here. I'm going to go to the bathroom. I'm going to come back. Uh, When I come back, I expect you all to be on your best behavior. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. I say this. And I absolutely mean it. And I got to tell you, I have been studying writers, newspaper writers, writers since I was a little kid. Whether it was Mike Royko with the Chicago Sun-Times, John Mudko with the Gary Post-Tribune, I don't care. Bernie Lincecumbe, hell, Skip Bayless was a damn writer in Chicago Uh, when I was coming up. Marty Shabazz, I can name all of them. Look, Bobby Barak is America's best writer. I honestly believe that. I think Bobby is the conscious of America. He's the only one with the stones that can stand up and say, hey, look, this is the way it is. And if you don't like what I'm saying, fine. But here's the reasons behind what I'm saying. And I always respect that. Bobby, can't thank you enough for the time, man. Always love talking to you. I want to get right into it. The boogeyman. Why is Clarence Thomas the boogeyman that the Democratic Party needed and apparently can't get enough of.
3: Yeah, well, first of all, Dan, thank you so much for those kind words. I'm so happy to be on with you. Um, Yeah, the Clarence Thomas story is fascinating because no matter what issue is at hand or at debate, the Democratic Party, the media, and the left, they always portray someone as the villain to distract from their point of view. What I mean by that is it's very hard right now or at any time to explain why women must have the right to have an abortion in all 50 states at any time, anywhere. It's also hard to explain where in the Constitution there's this invisible line that says abortion is a constitutional right. Those are obviously losing arguments. But what they can do is try to make the other side look like the bad guy. And what they do is they take one individual and use that person to distract from their losing argument. And you're seeing it all across the spectrum right now with Clarence Thomas, people calling him a black, white supremacist, whatever that means, someone who is anti-gay, anti-woman, anti-constitution, all over the place. The media and the Democratic Party have crucified this guy and denounced him as one of the most incompetent and disgusting people. I wrote a whole column about what they've done to him and other people in this situation. I mean, the Los Angeles Times essentially wrote—well, actually, not even essentially. Their headline is is that his decision to overturn Roe v. Wade—and it wasn't his decision. He was one of five justices— is going to kill black women. That was their headline. This guy's essentially a murderer. Um, they hate this guy so much right now. And it's so emblematic of the vitriol they have for anyone who disagrees with them. And I think a lot of it comes down to the left cannot handle when a prominent black figure does not agree with them. You saw the same thing with Candace Owens, fade steel. And now Clarence Thomas, and we know this because several media people, including your former colleague, Carrie Champion, is sharing tweets calling Clarence Thomas the racial slur that they, that Joy Reid coined as Uncle Clarence and Uncle Thomas. That's disgusting, racist, and just telling about what they're doing to this guy. I'm actually even surprised how far they've gone to try to tear this guy down just to win this abortion argument that I don't think they have a very strong case to make.
0: Well, one of the things I believe is we pick on the easiest to pick on. And it does surprise me that in this climate, an African-American male becomes the easiest to pick on. But the truth of the matter, he is. Uh, Kavanaugh is—he is. He is. It, it's just easy, right? I mean, there's no—you—you you can say all your clever little things. Like Carrie Champion can say whatever the hell she wants to say, and but it's easy. Uncle Clarence is an easy little nonsensical thing, and I always believe that the dumbest among us go to easy. They don't go to difficult or thoughtful. They go to easy.
3: Absolutely. And. Um, that goes back to the point is that it's so much easier to call him Uncle Clarence and then to argue about why this decision was wrong or unconstitutional. Uh, it's so much easier to take those cheap shots. Um, you saw this during COVID, right, that um, at one point it became very difficult to explain why everybody must get the vaccine, why lockdowns must still be prevalent, and why math mandates must be widespread. So instead of explaining that, they focused on Joe Rogan saying, hey, he's misinformation. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He's dangerous. So it's shifting the conversation away from their argument onto someone that they can portray as a villain. It's narrative control. Um, it goes on and on during the quote-unquote don't say gay bill instead of explaining why teachers should be able to talk about gender fluidity with young kids, third grade and younger, they instead shifted the conversation to call um Ron DeSantis anti-gay. And I link in that column on a, a column that's saying Ron DeSantis is quote unquote anti-gay because this guy didn't want to explain why teachers should be able to talk about sexual orientation with six year olds. There's a clear pattern here that we're seeing and we saw it with Elon Musk, right? Um instead of explaining why Twitter should be able to censor and be the arbiter of truth. They right away said Elon Musk is dangerous. Anything he says is wrong. Clarence Thomas is just the latest of this trend.
0: It is a trend, too. It it isn't like, okay, explain why. That's why I think you're America's best writer, because you make your points and then you explain the points and not just go, to uh, whatever is easiest. You actually tackle difficult things and you tackle them with a depth that very few, if anybody can uh, match, in my opinion anyway, because everybody else has bias. You just see the truth and expose it. Let me go to, man, when I was at ESPN, they got all mad at me because I said, I would not go swimming in a pool with a woman that wasn't my wife. I said, I'm a married man. I'm not getting divorced. They took that as sexual harassment. We got an actual wife beater who pled guilty, took probation, still working at ESPN, Howard Bryant, and writing hate about the United States in a column on July 4th. What's going on here, Bobby?
3: Yeah, this is stunning. Um, yeah, so on July 4th, ESPN put on their homepage a column by Howard Bryant that said America is awful and racist. That was the thesis of his column, why ESPN.com, put that on their homepage, I have no idea. But yeah, and Howard I have anyone, um, I mean, let's just go to him. America's so awful and racist, yet a guy who choked his wife in front of their six-year-old child was arrested, um, shoved a police officer, still has a job at ESPN, and is able to call America racist on July 4th? Um, that's pretty telling. Yeah, I mean this guy is the absolute worst. Um I went after him in November when he um again lied and said that there's never been a pregame show that's ever allowed African American men who didn't play professional sports on the set. So I tweeted at him, I said, Are you aware that your own network has Stephen A. Smith and Michael Wilbon on the NBA pregame show? They're two of three analysts, and they are both African American men who didn't play sports. this guy is just a complete idiot. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Um, he's pandering. He's race baiting, and quite frankly, he seems pretty hateful. Um, I would love if ESPN or Howard Bryant would answer my questions and simply explain why they post this. I contacted two espn pr reps i contacted howard bryant several times on twitter and none of them have an explanation for why they did this i would love to know the decision process of saying yes let's post an article calling america racist on the morning of july 4th that's such a bizarre decision that um, so few companies would do i mean i looked around not even CNN or MSNBC post an article like that on Monday so are we at the point now where ESPN is more radicalized and more far left than MSNBC and CNN I think is the case that's absolutely true
0: um, I, I don't think you're wrong I, I don't I don't I don't think you're wrong at all let me. You know, the idea, and, and it is interesting to me, I think that one of the things that I have learned during this show is that folks on the left can just say whatever it is they want, regardless of their circumstance, because when you look at Bryant in particular, you're seeing a guy of really no esteem. There, there isn't any reason why he should be where he is, yet he is, and then you go through the whole, well, he beat his wife, then he pushed a cop, and he did it in front of their son. And yet, married a white woman, actually, beat a white woman, and yet America is racist. And this is a guy, I don't know what he's making, but I'll guarantee you, he's making more uh, than 99% of the people make in this country, and yet, through all this, the guy has a, yeah, the guy has a job, and didn't lose the job, yet America's racist. I mean, What? I, I, Bobby, it drives me nuts. The left just says whatever the hell they want to say. We saw it with Lori Lightfoot the other day saying, hey, we got to stay, stop the hateful rhetoric two minutes after she said, F you, Clarence Thomas. The left can say whatever they want, and regardless of the circumstance. What are we doing?
3: Oh, yeah. I mean, there's no question. Um, they can d- really say or, in his, Howard Bryan's case, do whatever he wants uh, and I've got so many questions that I really sincerely wish ESPN would answer. Like, why does this guy have a job? He's obviously not that bright or unpredictable. He's really not that talented either. I mean, he he uses he really speaks in cliches. He writes in cliches. There's nothing about him that makes him a talent or even offset any of his negative coming. So, yeah, there's no reason for him to get this promotion except it goes back to what I've said from the start and all of this is that the people at the top are afraid. They're, they're afraid of firing Howard Bryant and him going on some podcast and saying ESPN fired me because I talk about racial relations against black people. I mean, that's what all this is. Um, and you can go down the list from L Duncan to Bomani Jones to Sarah Spain, who is white, but uses the argument a lot that everything is mm-hmm. sexist. When your bosses are afraid of what you will do, you begin to have power over them. And that's so obvious what has happened at ESPN. That's why I so often name drop ESPN president, Jimmy Pitar. I hear he's a very good guy. He's smart. At the end of the day, he is afraid of pushing back against his on-air talents because of what they might accuse him of in some New York times smear piece. So he's the blame for all this because He is letting Howard Bryant, L. Duncan, Bomani Jones, Sarah Bain, Stephen A. Smith run this entire locker room. And no matter what business you're in, you cannot let the employees take over management.
0: Uh, I think think they're held hostage right now to an ideology. I I think they are. I, I, I think, as you said, they're so afraid. And I really don't know why. I mean, I, we'll, we'll see what happens over the course of a year with streaming. But do, do you look at ESPN? If I'm ESPN, they, they've been putting out that it's the most watched May, that's it's the most watched this, and maybe it is. Do, do ratings matter anymore or does streaming and subscriptions, did they take that over? What What, what matters more?
3: Well, streaming is – much more lucrative if you look at it from the Netflix the Netflix standpoint of if people can pay $10 a month, I don't know how much ESPN Plus is, but say it's $10 a month, I mean, if you can get hundreds of thousands of people to subscribe to that or however many Netflix has now, you're going to make a substantial amount of money and really offset any commercial rate you have for advertising. Um, for ESPN, though it's different because the way cable works is you have your ad rate, but big channels also get um, a dollar rate per subscriber. ESPN, I think it's $7 per subscriber. It's the highest in cable. A place like Fox News, I think it's $2. CNN, like $1.75. So ESPN, that linear network does still matter a lot and more than other places. For example, we saw NBC shut down mbc sports net and move all their content to peacock so they did not care about that linear network but for espn because you get that high sub fee every month per cable subscriber that linear network is still very important that's why i said from the beginning when people had reported and projected that they were going to move monday night football off espn and to ABC, I kept saying no way because if you take Monday night football off ESPN, that channel is no longer as valuable. So they need to keep that high viewed content on ESPN. So no, I think in most cases streaming is the priority, but at ESPN I would say it's it's about it's about even because as much as ESPN plus matters, they're still making so much money off that linear channel, which is just known as ESPN.
0: People are telling me it's $6.99 a month. I, you know, that's that's pretty yeah. good. That's pretty good for ESPN. Yeah, hey, it, Bobby, it pop, it pop uh, in uh, Joy, I believe Joy Reid to be the worst person in media. You may have a different idea. Uh, Joy Reid ratings, horrendous. Uh, can she be saved?
3: Same thing, MSNBC is too afraid to address it. Um, Any other network, or not any other network, but any other network not known as MSNBC or ESPN would kick her out of primetime, abysmal ratings. Despite prime real estate, she's ranking 34th in cable news on most most nights. Think about that. A show airing on MSNBC at 7 p.m. is drawing fewer viewers than some show on CNN at 11 a.m. That's completely inexcusable. Joy Reid just recorded her lowest watch quarter ever this last quarter. She's on pace to top that record again. So props to her on keeping it consistent. But she is a a disaster any way you look at it. Um, Not only is her show bad, not only are her ratings poor. I mean, by all accounts, she is just a toxic figure behind the scenes, on air. Um, I could go down and name things that she has said the past year that I think are by definition playable. The best one that I have found is she said that red state governors only keep black people alive to cook white people steaks. Dan, I have no idea what that even means, but the, just to say it, it sounds disgusting, and I assume it's racist. So again, she said, red state GOP leaders keep black people alive to cook white people steaks on their grills. I have no idea what she's saying.
0: Can CNN, now that Discovery owns them, can CNN change their ways? Bob? you got a great article about it. Can they do it?
3: I don't know. I'm skeptical. They, they're they telling everybody they can, from David Zaslav, Discovery CEO, to new CNN president, Chris Lick. They are telling agents, talents, reporters, and anyone who will listen that they want to pivot CNN to the middle and become – A moderate cable news network um, it's a hard task for several reasons a you can't do that with the current staff right Um, say what you will about CNN they actually have a lot of really good journalists and I think Clarissa Ward is the best reporter in the entire industry Um, so as much as you give her airtime your loudest voices are always going to shape the perception of your network so as long as you have Don Lemon Rihanna Kyler, Jim Acosta, that's going to be the perception out of CNN. So in order to successfully orchestrate this pivot, they're going to have to kick those people off air. Will they do that? Again, I don't know. Removing Don Lemon, another race fader, probably isn't something that Discovery is going to want under their belt. So that's point A. Point B is, as bad as CNN's numbers are, there's no evidence, and this is what's unfortunate that American viewers want straight news and moderate content. There's a new cable news network called News Nation. I've been on it a few times. They do a really good job. They have Dan Abrams over there, um, Ashley Bamsfield. They brand themselves as a moderate alternative, and they've done a pretty good job with that. They do bring on both sides. However, nobody's watching your CNN. You're really going to sacrifice even more ratings to complete that mission. Now, I hope they do because the less Jim Acosta is on air, the better for everybody. But I'm skeptical that they're going to actually be able to pull this off because, A, I don't think they're going to be able to get Lemon and Tyler and Seltzer off air. And, B, I think they're going to find out quickly that artist in a CNN is that's probably still a better business model than going news first because if you go news first, you're going to lose more of your ardent leftist viewership so you can only make that up by bringing in conservative viewerships and i'm highly skeptical that conservative viewers are going to give cnn another shot no matter who they have on air
0: money talks baby crosby stills and nash are back on spotify i don't know if you followed that after their protest of joe rogan lasted a few weeks few months and now they're back big boy
3: yeah um that's stunning, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's unbelievable. Um, these media companies that listen to these protests, all this stuff, I mean, it's some of the most cowardly people ever. Um, this is the exact reason why independent media is surging right now. Like the Daily Wire, there's a report that came out, and they have 680,000 paying subscribers right now. That is because they listen to their audience and not their critics these mass media companies do the exact opposite. They cater to angry critics at the Washington Post and ignore subscribers and viewers and listeners and readers. That's just so backwards. And I think it really sums up the state of the corporate press today.
0: Bobby, last thing before I let you go, your article that's pinned. um, uh, Bobby, at Barack, B-U-R-A-C-K, Bobby underscore, about don't apologize to the mob couldn't be more point-blank on or on point, whatever the kids say. Don't apologize to the freaking mob. Screw the mob.
3: The mob only has the power you grant it. The people that have refused to apologize, Dave Chappelle, Dave Portnoy, what happened? They won. Netflix ended up giving Chappelle more power. Portnoy is more powerful than ever. When you cave, you just grant these people power over you and control over you. Um, apologizing doesn't work. This group, whatever you want to call them, progressives, wokes, the mob, losers, it doesn't matter. They're not looking to compromise. So when you apologize, all you're doing is saying, hey, please leave me alone. Please let me you know, be. I'll get in line. Don't do that because they're never going to leave you alone. If they sense weakness, they're going to jump on you and never let you go. There is a long list of people who have apologized, who regret it because it didn't grant them freedom or autonomy or anything. They're just under that control now. Um, I end it like this. If you're apologizing because you're not sorry, because you're afraid, don't do it it's not worth it now if you do something wrong like i don't know like you know, forget to pick your kids up and practice and they get rained on maybe that's worth an apology <laughs> but speaking the truth making a joke or making the okay hand gesture which i guess is now a sign of white supremacy it's not worth apologizing you're allowed to have an opinion you're allowed even to have a bad opinion you're allowed to make a joke you're allowed even to make a cringe joke we need to stop apologizing and given these people who are just so miserable trying to ruin everybody else's life, given them the satisfaction that they matter. Um, yeah. But simply do not apologize.
0: That's perfect. Bobby, I love having you on, man. Keep doing your thing. You're the best in the country. No question. In my opinion, you're the best in the country. Thank you, Bobby.
3: Thanks so much. Talk soon.
0: All right, buddy. Uh, yeah, we got an interesting YouTube chat today, a lot of people whining, a lot of people complaining, a lot of people... Uh, good for you, but I, I I, thank you all for being on. Um, you know, I don't ever block anybody on our chats unless they keep getting personal with me time after time after time. We got guys coming back with nine different accounts. Uh, Yesterday I set Dockage off saying Putt-Putt was a good date in the 70s and and I called him a snowflake and he banned me. Yeah, that's why. (laughs) Yeah, okay. (laughs) It's like the 100th time this guy comes at me. Look, you can come at me all you'd like. I just get tired of it once in a while. I'm not some kid that wants to keep going back and forth. I'm here to have a good time. So if you want to come at me personally every day, yeah, we'll get you off the chat. You can go... uh, You have a great time. El Presidente, thank you. This has been a wonderful, wonderful show today, and I appreciate everybody that took the time to uh, pay attention to us. I thought that Joe Kennedy and his attorney, Jeremy, were terrific. It'll be up all day. All you got to do is go to my Twitter account, at Dan and I'll have it up for you for the entire day. Uh, Thanks to Bobby Barack, same thing. Interviews will be up. We parse them. We put them together, or at least I don't. Jeremy and Jeremy. Ryan and Dylan and the fellas in the back, they do. Davey, thank you for your help on the interview. But it really, really is a fantastic day. You know what I mean? Just a fantastic day. Putt-putt is not a personal attack, but calling me a snowflake every day and all the different stuff that you say, you just as an adult, you just get tired of it from the children. So uh, be what you may, but the truth of the matter is I appreciate you all watching us. We're going to be back at it on Monday. I hope you have a fantastic weekend. Get out there and do something fun. I'll be back noon to 3 on 107.5 The Fan. That's right, 1075 the fan.com is where to go. You can catch me today. Tomorrow I am off. Actually, Saturday I'm doing a show on 107.5 The Fan from the Indiana Derby at noon till 3. Anyway, have a fantastic, fantastic afternoon. Uh, Join us at 107.5 The Fan. Thank you for listening all week long. Dockage is no longer here, thus he is out.